Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Wildcard Conversations, my little podcast where I pull random cards with thought-provoking questions for my wonderful guests. I am your host, Katja Bavendam, and I am so grateful for the diverse group of friends, acquaintances, and strangers who come on here with open hearts and minds. What they all have in common is that they have wisdom to share, knowledge to drop, stories to tell, and I am so happy to hold space for them, listen to them, sing their praises, cry and laugh with them, and share a little bit of myself as we go along. On today's episode, I am joined by Katie Kenny, another one of my beautiful coffee shop friends from my old neighborhood in Queens. Katie tells me about making her dream of living in New York City come true, which involved a difficult breakup, followed by an epic cross-country road trip with her grandpa and her dog Chuck, who are both no longer with us physically, but certainly here in spirit. Katie quite literally came a long way from slinging car tires to Utah moms to being at the center of the crazy world of New York City advertising agencies. And none of that might have ever happened without her brother Ryan's love for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. When we recorded this episode, Katie had been recently laid off and was sitting with some heavy emotions, which she generously shared with me. And while we agreed that the New York City subway is the best place to have a good cry, I like to think that my podcast is a close second. All jokes aside, though, I always feel so honored when my guests feel safe enough to be vulnerable and share difficult emotions with me. So thank you again, Katie. Speaking of tears, I might just cry some tears of joy if you leave a written review or a five-star rating, follow, subscribe, tell all your friends about Wildcard Conversations, or do anything else you would do to support a podcast you enjoy. Thank you so much for listening, and now without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the sweet, funny, brilliant, and vulnerable Katie Kenny. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And as always, I will tell the listeners how we know each other. You are another lovely connection from my favorite coffee shop in Astoria, from my old stomping grounds. And we just recently bumped into each other again when I was up for a visit. And I really don't know that much about you or your life. I just know that you're awesome. And so I'm excited to talk to you and get to know you. And yeah, I mean, that's really all I got. I kind of love when I'm talking to people I don't know that well, because it's just this big blank slate and we don't know what's going to happen. I'm with you. I'm really excited. I don't know what's going to happen either, but ask away. Okay, so I will let you pick a category from my six categories here of my random cards. And okay. the, ca the categories are dreams, life lessons, exposed, courage, beliefs, and self-awareness. Oh, okay. Dreams. Dreams it is. All right, let's see what we got. Oh, this is interesting because I know you're fun employed right now. This question is... Where are you making work the reason for not achieving your dreams? Well, I mean, interestingly, the reason I moved to New York was for work, which was my dream at the time, which was to do advertising in New York. And I did that. I did it for two years and I hated it. And I had to back up. So I spent the first nine years of my career after undergrad um, working in advertising, but working for a client in-house. 
And we were clients of an advertising agency that was parented here in New York, but had divisions all over. And they said, if I wanted to come to New York and do strategy, they'd give me a job. So I was like, okay, among other reasons to move to New York, but those have to pop up in other questions. So I did, I did advertising in New York for two years. I hated it. it I think I did it the wrong way in hindsight. I think you got to go agency side first and then go client side because it is so different on both sides. But what I wanted to learn on agency side was like, how they figured things out, right? I was always impressed by what they would present, <clears throat> these plans, and I was curious. So I did learn those things, but I burnt out eventually. And I was working these wild hours and they're thankless and you're always understaffed and clients are brutal, <laughs> you know? So I saved up and I quit my job one summer, about two years in, so probably 2018. And I spent it out in Montauk. At that point, I had a girlfriend that would summer there. So I summered by proxy. It was amazing. And I just was like, I'm going to do something that's like similar. I have a degree. I'll figure this out. My mom was freaking out, of course. And I ended up going back. I had worked for two agencies in New York and I ended up going back to the first agency, the one that had offered me a job when I came here. And they said, if you will hire people to do what you did, we'll teach you how to recruit, like how to recruit those people. And I was like, okay, great. Um, And they took a chance on me and it ultimately didn't work out and bigger issues, right? Things I think that were just leadership that you kind of realize after time when you age in your career. Then I found my home for the past three and a half years. Um, I was recruiting, but recruiting within healthcare and actually recruiting PharmDs, MDs, and PhDs to come right for healthcare. It was really fun, really exciting. It was really relevant in a pandemic, super fast paced, busy, and I loved the people I did it with. So um, made it really fun. But then the economy is what it is right now. And due to some business losses, was affected by layoffs. So right now, I'm actually loving this break. There was this like sense of relief. I didn't know I would feel I think I I think I knew I needed a break for a really long time. But we were just so busy for so long. And then when things did start to slow down, it was like almost like knowing what was going on in the in the economy, there was like this panic to prove your worth. Right. So even though things were slow, and you you wanted to lean into that, you didn't. So I'm finally having this like break that just feels so nice to wake up and not have to have that stress of like, hello, good morning. I can just water my garden and drink my coffee and walk to the chateau and hang out with Natasha and help her and just kind of like putts around all day. I know it won't last for forever. Uh, so I'm trying to <clears throat> lean into it while I can. Okay. I have a follow-up question here. So your dream was actually related to work. You came to New York City to work in advertisement, which I feel like is such a like classic, like white girl thing. <laughs> no, but it's such a like such a movie girly coming to the big city to like, you know, work oh, in the fast sure. space. Yeah. So where yeah. where did you where was home for you? Where did you come from before? Oregon. You? Oregon. And Oregon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me more about growing up in Bend, Oregon. How did you get to having this dream of doing advertisement in New York City? So growing up in Bend, Oregon, so we moved there when I was 15 years old. So I was actually born where you're residing-ish now in Tampa, Florida. I moved to Virginia for eight years when I was eight or when I was seven. And then we moved to Oregon when I was 15. But most of my growing up, like my memories are in Oregon, because I went to high school and college out there. Um, I stayed after college and got my job client side doing advertising, which was what 
my degree is was in from undergrad. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do <laughs> when I went to college, when I was in college. You know, I started actually in advertising in business, thinking I wanted to do marketing. In hindsight, I don't know that I should have gone to college when I was 18, right? But one, I think I would have benefited from taking one of those years off like many kids do now. I needed that year to like travel, see things, decide what I wanted to do. But I knew I didn't want to live at home anymore. And there was not another option growing up for me. It was the next thing was more school, right? And then you could either work after school or go to more school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in business was just general. I I want, I loved being around creatives, but I wasn't creative. And I tried graphic design and I, what would take me hours was like a C. And then like the kid next to me could whip something out in like five minutes when the teacher was walking around and he'd get like an A plus. And it's like, okay, I got to find another way to hang with these people because I can't do what they do. So I always knew I liked just that element of advertising and marketing. I kind of fell into it. I think they, by the end of my junior year with business marketing. And then I graduated in um, 07 and there was another recession right back then that had hit. So I actually wanted to go back to my summer job and be a beverage cart girl and drive the beverage cart around the golf course. And my stepfather was very against that. And he was like, I did not just pay all this money for you to get a degree to be a beverage cart driver. So but it was such a fun summer job when you were like young in your 20s, right? Driving a golf cart with beverages around the golf course anyway. So he made me start applying to real jobs using my degree. And I just kind of fell into my first job, which was a client side in-house for a tire retailer. Um, I know nothing about tires, but I know a lot about marketing tires and audiences <laughs> and where they reside within uh, Utah, Oregon, and Colorado. All right. <laughs> Does client side always mean that you are doing the in-house advertisement marketing for a company? Or can it also be that you're kind of the liaison who works with an outside agency doing the oh, marketing? Yeah, oh. I was doing that, both of those things as a client. That's why like, I was doing the in-house. We were what, what we didn't have was the analytics, right? And the capability to look at things broader. And we it started as like a smaller place that, I mean, by the time I came on, it was huge. They were in nine states, right? But it was just something that I think grew so quickly that you needed a larger organization to help you to continue to grow. So, I mean, that wasn't the press. You want to know the precipice that made me move? First, I have a question for okay. to, to educate myself and my audience. To me, marketing and advertisement are very abstract terms. So if could you explain the difference between marketing and advertising or advertisement to me as if I were a 10 year old? Oh my God, I don't want this part to be recorded. What if I say it wrong? <laughs> You'll do great. No, I mean, I, they're kind of loosely similar, right? I think maybe advertising can be more of the actual advertisement. Marketing is how it's done, how you advertise. So marketing out West being, we had creatives in-house that made advertisements for us. We had media buyers in-house that purchased advertisement space for us. We were tasked with being really knowledgeable about the territories that the stores that we were, you know, I was in charge of three states. So I had to know those markets. I had to know the people that lived there. I had to know how they consume media, where they consume media. What was the most likely segment to buy attire, right? With like Utah, it ended up being like women. Moms were the purchaser. You have all these young families, right? 18 to 34 with multiple kids. And the moms are the decision makers. So we make this 
wild partnership with the zoo that ends up being hugely profitable, like things like that, right? Like that's what we were tasked with. But then you need these bigger organizations as you grow to get on TV and to get on radio and you can buy those things up until a certain point. You get discounts when you go with organization. When you're big enough, you can afford it. And then that's what I came here to do was to work for those big advertising agencies. There's So I just had this epiphany, which sounds so stupid, but I'm like, oh yeah, in marketing, there's the word market in there. So it's about figuring out like who your market is and I like that. Yeah, for sure. How you can reach them. And then the advertising is the actual act of reaching them totally okay so back to your story so you're out there in oregon slinging tires to moms in utah how do you get from there to new york city i know there's so many people who grow up in more rural spaces and new york city just has a magical draw so if it was just something that was whispered into your ear by the universe that's totally understandable but was there an actual connection There was a moment when I knew I wanted to live here, yes. The first time I came here, my sibling that's closest in age to me, for he's special needs. And when he turned 30, my mom and I were like, what would Ryan want for his 30th birthday? And one thing he loves to do every year, and he's, I guess, relevant to the story, Ryan's birthday is November 25th. So it's always around Thanksgiving. And he loves to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Side note, as a New Yorker, I would never do this, but this was like pre as a New Yorker to the story. So we're like, oh my God, we have to take him to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and surprise him, like best birthday ever for him. So my ex and I get in a day early because my best friend from undergrad lived here and I wanted to see her and spend a little bit of time before my family came in. It was like the last day, I don't know, one of some part of the trip and we're walking in Brooklyn, which I have strong feelings about Brooklyn one way or the other now as a Queens girl. But we were walking in Brooklyn and I just, I was walking with my best friend and my ex and I just, I was like, I, I want to live here. Like I just, I've never, we moved a lot as a kid. My stepfather's a Marine, so we moved. It's, I'm used to that and home is wherever my mom is. I've always just like felt that. I've never felt like I've identified with a place. The longest I've lived anywhere is Oregon, so that's the most home I had. But the first time I came to New York, I was like, I want to live here. So this and was just, your first trip to New York, this trip for the Macy's Parade and to go visit your friend. Yeah. That was the first In time you ever came to New York. The first okay. time I ever, well, I had come as a kid. I don't really remember it. I remember the um, Statue of Liberty was open and we were walking and we were trying to get to her crown. And I was like, oh my God, that's so far. And I threw a shit fit. So we didn't have to walk all the way up. Like, that's what I remember. (laughs) You know, now in hindsight, you're like, that really sucks that you ruined that for everyone. Yeah, I don't remember that trip as very strongly. This is my first time as an adult where I just felt the energy of New York that's, you either love it or you hate it, right? And I wanted to live here so bad. And the three of us were walking. And he's like, I really want to live here. And my ex is like, we can't. He owned a business out West. So he is like, our life doesn't prohibit it. And he's like, we just should, should, like, we should move here. I really want to move here. And he's like, we can't. Blah, blah, blah. And I like looked around him at my best friend. He was in the middle of us. And I looked at her and I was like, I'm going to live here someday. And she's like, I know you will. And I was like, okay. And that was like the whole conversation. So my life kind of went belly up in 2016 and a five-year relationship ended. And this was the first place I knew. I was like, I'm going to New York. I had always wanted to be here. So it was, and by that point, all my family had left Oregon, which is an important detail. So I was the last one. They had slowly but surely started to leave. People passed away and just lots of different things that happened. People had moved. 
I had stayed because of him and his family and that relationship. So I was like, fuck it, I'm out of here. I ended in 30 days. I got at my job, which was really hard. They didn't want me to leave. And they were instrumental in my getting a job in New York, which I'm so grateful for always. But I got out of a job, a house, a car, and I packed up me and the dog in a minivan. My grandfather came, who at the time was 86. Oh, that's and- right. Yes, you mentioned that the other day. Yeah, and we did a two and a half week cross country road trip with the dog. And this was your beautiful boxer who passed away suddenly last year, right? Yes, Jack. Yes. Okay, I've never done a cross country road trip. It's on my bucket list. Do you have any favorite memories, moments that are burnt into your memory with your grandpa on that road trip? I mean, the whole trip was epic. Not a lot of people has. A, my grandfather was so cool. He he was so cool. He passed at eighty nine. But she may have actually been, now that I think about that, no, he was 86, damn. Um, he, like, he run trotted four miles every other day. Like, he was, he was in phenomenal shape. Like, the man, he ate this Mediterranean diet. He just, he was one of those, he was cool. My grandfather was really cool. Anyways, he, my grandmother had passed away in 2015. And we were doing this, like, cadence of, you know, someone in the family always seeing him every month. And when I called my parents, like, I'd never asked for anything like that before. And I called them on a Sunday night and was like, I want to leave him. I want to leave Oregon. Like, I'm going to quit my job. My parents are also like, you can't call them and cry wolf. Like, you've got to call them and have the whole plan ready to go because my mom's going to ask 20,000 questions. And Mm -hmm. if you're not ready, you're fucked. So I asked if one could come get me because that was the only thing I didn't think I could do alone was like physically leave. My mom called me back like the next day and was like, so I can't do it and my dad can't do it. But what if granddad comes? And I was like, what? Absolutely. (laughs) And so we did this two and a half week cross country road trip. We hit, we visited family. We went to Seattle. Um, We went to Jackson Hole, which was my first time in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That was beautiful. The Grand Tetons. We did it April 1st was the start of the trip. And as we went through Yellowstone was opening like the week after we were driving through. Glacier was opening like two weeks after we were driving through. Like it sucked because we wanted to hit a lot of the national parks and we couldn't. Um, So we ended up making it about family. We hit Seattle, Minneapolis. Iowa, which there's nothing there. But we just kind of we zigzagged back and forth. We did wine tasting in Walla Walla. We were just like a couple of old people. We'd wake up, we had a little routine and we'd wake up and we'd eat breakfast. My grandfather refused to eat any meal in the car. He needed to stop and properly eat at a table. But by the end, he was letting me drink wine in the car as we were like driving, which was great for like my happy hour. But we would like have our meals, we'd, we'd drive, we'd switch drivers. It was... And by like 4 p.m., wherever we were, I'd start looking on my phone and I'd do a hotel tonight and I'd find about an hour out or we'd have like a destination, you know, Denver, wherever it may be. And we'd look for a hotel that night and we'd just like drive there that night. And the only qualifications we needed were two beds and it had to be dog friendly. So <laughs> You didn't want to share a queen size bed with your grandpa. <laughs> no, <laughs> but he was generously paying for the hotel room. Mm and gas and right so um in the rental car so I was happy to share a room (laughs) I mean what a gift to have that with a grandparent towards the end of their life to just remember them by like that's awesome it's my favorite human in the world aside from my brother Ryan but really I I was the oldest and I often think I'm so lucky because of that because I got to know him the longest I got to have I think 
Do you hear that motorcycle? Just ambient queens noises. But no, I got to just have, you know, he would give me so much shit after that trip because he'd be like, now all of your cousins want a trip and I don't want to do this shit with them. And I was definitely always his favorite. He admitted it eventually. I'm literally on his deathbed, but I just was like, please tell me at some point in your life. I know it. He'd be like, stop talking like that. But it was really special. I know that. That bond was... I think now as I grow older, lots of different things. But I think one thing, my grandfather uh, lost a parent when he was a kid and I lost a parent. And I think that was just, it bonds you in a way. So you were about, I'm doing the math, you were about like 30-ish then when you were on this road trip? 31. Mm-hmm. Good, good math. That is, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in a way you have that classic story of girly going to New York. Oh, but it was late. It was, it was late, right? Because usually it right. happens in the 20s because in the 20s, you don't give a shit about anything and you just get up and go. Um, I mean, it didn't happen instantly, right? I stayed with my mom for about two months. I had to grieve a loss. I My life didn't go the way I thought it was going to, right? We weren't going to get married. So it was like... I'm going to start over. That was hard. That was hard. It's still hard, clearly. What was hard was exactly what you pointed out, doing it so late in life. Take your time. It was scary. You know, I could tell the story one way, but it was really scary at this time. I felt really behind. I still do in some ways. So I get that. I don't want to like, no, okay. I, I feel so honored that you feel safe to share your emotions. I would love to hear more if you're willing to share about the loss of the parent and how that bonded you to your grandpa. So you're, again, I'm just using logic here. You're talking about your mom and your stepdad. So I'm assuming your dad passed away at some point. Yes, when I was 14. Okay, so that was right before you got to Oregon there. And what, what were the circumstances of his passing? He died of cancer. It was very quick. He had battled this was his third battle with cancer. He was 41 when he passed. Oh, God. Right? Which is so scary to think about now. <laughs> He'll be 40 next year. Totally different health than him. Thank God. He he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was in his early 20s, when him and my mom were young. And then he, he was a smoker. Uh, he had lung cancer in his late 20s. And then my parents separated when I nine or 10. And I think, you know, my dad took up behaviors at that point that were smoking and drinking again, that just kind of caused all those things to come back. Mm -hmm. Right. Being so predispositioned. It was really quick. It came back as esophageal cancer, which is such an awful, yeah, one because you can't really catch it stage one and stage two, and you can't treat it stage three and stage four. So it's a bad one. And he went quick. He had a six months prognosis and he made it five. At that point, since they had split already, were you like living full time with your mom or what was the, the so, arrangement? Yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot that happened for backstory. So we moved to Virginia when I was eight. My parents split up I was around nine or 10. My mom remarried when uh, I was 12. And then my dad passed when I was 14. So a lot happened in those like six years, right? It was like instrumental years. And then, you know, when I got, when I moved to Oregon, in some ways it was a fresh start, which I think as a kid, I just needed. I didn't want to talk about things. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Oh my God, I might need to get a tissue though. Yeah, blow your nose. 
So where was I at? So Oregon was a fresh start in a lot of ways, right? People didn't know it and have to talk about things. And I think in the healing process, that was good for me because I tend to just shut down and I need to like process things. And uh, so like pushed me to be more, you know, social and who I am, which is more extroverted. But I think it also allowing me not to talk about those things, just like perpetuated other things, you know, going through therapy now that you like realize, oh, that affected me this way or that way. And yeah, I don't know. We're all we're all fucked up in our own ways, right? And it manifests, it's really interesting how it manifests in everyone when you start to explore it for yourself. I just had this thought, I don't think I've ever really talked to someone. I, I think I know people who lost their parents in those or want a parent in those formative years. But I'm like, how do you even grieve as a teenager? It's almost impossible to do it without it fucking you up. Well, I've definitely seen it manifested in relationship right like when I end a relationship I just you're dead to me and it's such it's helpful but it's very unhealthy right but it's such a final thing and it's like manifested in so many ways it was it was very hard to grieve because my brother couldn't understand right and you know, I have two brothers but one is 15 years younger than me he was a surprise baby when we moved to Oregon you know, and my mom was in a different place in her life. She was married and moved on. So it was a, it was an isolating thing to go through as a kid, for sure. Did you get a chance like what you so you were living in? Were you still living close to each other? No, I was with him if that's where you're going. But uh -huh. yes, we were I lived in Virginia. He lived in Florida. We had gone to Oregon that summer for the first time. And one of the main reasons we moved to Oregon was my mom's sister was there. Um, and she had two daughters, uh, my cousins, who I'm extremely close to. And we ended up moving there to be by them, right, to finish being raised by family. So we had gone to the to their new, they had moved to a different part of Oregon. We had gone to that part for the first time to visit them. And we were coming home. And I, I went to Florida and Ryan went back with my parents. And I was with my dad when he passed. Yeah, it was in the hospital. Mm. I don't know if I could talk about that, honestly, without falling as out. You, you don't, you don't have to. I'm you. just, you I was just, anymore. <laughs> no, I was just curious about the circumstances. So what was your, your grandpa's story of losing a parent? Because you said there was this bond. Was it very similar or was it just the bond of losing a parent? I think it can be both. I interestingly also have this bond with my cousins. My aunt passed away. 15 years after my father, but well, less than that. I was 28 when she passed 14 years. So you can only, you, it's an awful club to be in, but when you're in it, you understand. Um, my grandfather was 16 when his dad died. He died of kidney failure. He was not with his father. The, something had happened. I think he had fallen on a work site. He, interestingly, his dad worked here. They, my grandfather grew up in New York. One of the other reasons I like always had this back love for New York was my granddad too, right? He grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. He was like, why would you move to Queens? That was always a rivalry between us. But his father worked in Long Island City because Long Island City in Astoria used to be super industrial, as you know. And something happened in like on the job and he went into the hospital and they were going in and out and seeing him. But I don't think my grandfather, I don't think anyone knew how serious it was. Right. And he was in the hospital and like he would tell the story and, you know, he went to see a double feature at the movie that day and debated whether he should and went and his father died while he was at the movie so he wasn't with him I do think he regretted it you know it changed his life a lot 
because at that time, you know, he had to help support his mother because they were immigrants. His parents were immigrants. So he had to start working. He had a younger brother. They had to rent out a portion of the house, right, to help pay the bills. And like it changed his life forever, too. And I, so I think you, he just he understood, one, the pain mm-hmm. as like a kid. And and then also like and not having anyone to talk to, but then just yeah, it's just like you're also like I don't know you bond with the surviving parent forever changes whether they're good or bad humans. You become like so attached to them because they're the only one that you have left. You'll you'll see someday. I used to tell my mom all this stuff. It was funny, and then like when she lost her mother, I remember her talking to me and being like, "Yeah, a lot of what you said now makes sense." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. I just I was talking out my ass, but." <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, it's going to happen, but it just, when it happens so young, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. But I mean, there's certainly, I don't know. I think we all grow up with this expectation, right? That everyone dies peacefully at college, right? The wedding who's going to dance with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that everyone, you know, just dies peacefully at 85 years old when you're well into your middle age and you're established and you have your own family and and it's it's all fine and dandy and, you know, just a part of life. But that's usually not how death happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so moving on from actual death to another traumatic event, which was the death of your five-year relationship, which then caused you to get get into a try. What do you want to know? (laughs) Um, So I know you got emotional earlier talking about you just felt like you were late. Was there some, were you fueled by some sort of resentment that you lost time with this ex-boyfriend? I was fueled with anger. I was fueled with anger at failing, that I failed, that I picked the wrong person. That relationship we were young I mean we were 25 I think about that now I think we were fucking young yeah and we were young and um net net he cheated for like a year in I found out two years and begged me to stay with him I was an idiot who did I wasn't an idiot but I did whatever right and then it just continued to happen and I knew it but I couldn't fucking prove it and then he made me feel like I was crazy it was one of those things so it was like I was just fueled with the anger of like why you fucking knew like, it's just so mad at myself, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that was like the anger. And then just grappling with like, you knew and you stayed and I couldn't prove it. So it was like this vicious, vicious cycle. But I felt behind and I felt all these other things in my life, right? And was like, I had out West the perfect job for being a mother and having a family. And like, that was a big family push on that. Or like I had set up everything perfectly for what I thought was what I wanted when I turned 30. And then like life went belly up, but New York's a great place to start your life over in. You know, once I got here and kind of got through that, it did help being here. I think, you know, there's so many other 30 somethings, early 40 somethings, right? That are still chasing dreams and you can do that here and you can, you know, I go anywhere else. And now it's like, I don't, I couldn't go anywhere else because I would just feel like bless her heart people would think that about me and I don't know work in my head too much but there's also like all the arts here and all the things you can do like I didn't have that out west right and I knew if I stayed there I just I wanted to be here I want if there was just from that moment when I was with my best friend years ago in Williamsburg of all places Brooklyn but but I just like New York's the place like I just I want to go there and start over and I guess I'm starting over at 31 but here I am so I think the 30s are just at an interesting time period where there's just immense pressure, I feel like, to 
figure it out and establish yourself where like I'm I'm hoping to soon get to the other side of 40 and just fucking relax a little bit more because looking back in 10 years we're probably going to be like what were you so stressed out about because <laughs> I'm like that now looking back at my 25 year old self I'm like what were you so fucking upset well, about about fucking money because you're broke and I was too stubborn to ask my parents for any help so, I mean, the 20s was a financial struggle for me. That was a hard decade. There were a lot of learning lessons. By the end of my 20s, you know, going into my 30s, I was so excited for 30. And I've loved this decade, but you're right. There is a lot of pressure to establish yourself. I'm feeling that now a lot at the end of my 30s, I think, more so than I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. Um, just like wanting to buy so badly. And so I lost my job on a Wednesday. I leased into my apartment for two years on Friday. And I like I had this like financial plan, two years. Okay, less than two years, you're going to buy. You're going to be out of this place. You'll sublet if you need to. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, I lose my job. And it's so like to your point of establishing yourself. I was like, I just made a fucking plan and the universe laughed at me. What is that saying again? Life is what happens while you're busy making plans or something like that, right? So you've mentioned a couple of times the battle between Brooklyn and Queens. So how did this road trip end up in Queens? Uh, Because to me, a lot of times when people come to New York, they naturally end up in Manhattan in some capacity, right? So why Queens? So it was Manhattan for two months on my best friend's couch and uh, one month, actually, well, two months with my mom, one month on her couch. And she's like, bitch, you need to get off my couch. <laughs> like, OK, so I went actually out to Brooklyn because I thought well, I thought Williamsburg and Bed-Stuy and Bushwick were super cool when I moved here. Right. Like everyone does. And so I made it 10 months. And I was like, I get the fuck out of here. I actually ended up when I moved to Queens. So when I moved here, I've been in the same building now for six years, but I'm in my second apartment in this building. As you know, many New Yorkers do, moving is our feet and we absolutely hate it. So you'll just move floors. But uh, I moved into this building with my best friend from undergrad and her fiance. So when I was moving here, I was planning to live with my best friend and I left Oregon in April. I was here in New York, July 4th. My best friend got engaged in June. So I was like, well, there goes that plan. And then, you know, I was subletting and they were saving for a wedding. And it was actually her fiance that was like, hey, of any of your friends that like, if we need to live with a friend of any of them, the only one of your friends I could live with is Katie, like she's clean and she's respectful. And so they presented it to me and they're like, would you be open to like a two bed, two bath? We would be open to Chuck. And I I didn't realize how expensive Chuck was going to be. Oh my God. That dog walking bill was $800 a month. I was like, I lived out west. I had a backyard. I had a car. You just like let the dog out, go back to work. So, you know, my budget of what I thought I could afford, I had to take that out of. So it was a win-win and it was super harmonious. It was great. We had two bed, two bath opposite sides of the house. Chuck got so much table scraps. He loved it. He had so many people to pet him. And we did that for four years. And then, you know, pandemic and this apartment opened and I was like, guys, I gotta space. So Tell me what you love about Queens. Point, or... She found Queens, though. When we started opening up her search, her fiance and I were looking at like Fort Greene and like, you know, bigger spaces with outside spaces in Brooklyn, like cuter. And she's like, I'm not moving to Brooklyn. She was a Manhattan snob. So she's like, well, I'll consider Queens. And we're like, we just want space. Like, I can't live in these. She was like making us tour Chinatown apartments. I was like, V, this is 500 square feet. There's basically four humans. Chuck is 80 pounds. Like, So she found this place. We had made an agreement. If two of the three of us 
loved it, we would do it. And we all wanted different things. I wanted it to feel big enough for Chuck. She wanted a kitchen, you know, being in Manhattan. She's like, I just want counter space. And me, how needed two bathrooms. <laughs> He's like, absolutely non-negotiable two bathrooms. And this was the first place we walked in, all three of us just loved it. Like just, we came down Broadway, right? You'd see Socrates Sculpture Park at the end of Vernon and Broadway. And like, at this point, my building wasn't as dilapidated as it is now, but you just like, we walked in, it was beautiful, new. There was a doorman. We're like, we weren't even looking at buildings with doormen. Are you kidding me? There was like, there were washer and dryer in unit. There was a dishwasher in unit. There were heated floors, two bathrooms, all this bougie shit. We didn't know we even wanted in Queen. So we were like, let's sign. And we did the next morning. We got the apartment. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think that was probably before that area got a lot more expensive, right? Oh, yeah, it was correct. Are you it now was. like Astoria or bust? I mean, I love Astoria. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if um, I don't know if I could afford to buy out here, to be honest. You know, I look and my whole budget goes to a one bedroom. And yeah, it's an investment property, but like that a smart decision. I don't know i like sunny side i see me just going deeper into queens honestly and in up hopefully forest hills <laughs> all right okay i wanted to ask you if you're willing to share a little bit more about your brother ryan who yes. seems to be a very special human so what are his his special needs is learning disabled. So he has a IQ in like the 70s, 60s, 70s. So Ryan's like 10, fifth grade, right? In his head, like he's just never going to develop past that. He is the most happy-go-lucky human you've ever met in your entire life. I love being around my brother. I just, he's my favorite. He's great with routine. He's had a job now for, he works at a grocery store. He like stocks the shelves and bags and does carts. He's been there for probably 15 years now. Now, lives in a small town. Um, my parents ended up moving to Pennsylvania. When everyone started leaving Oregon, they lived in central northern Pennsylvania in a place called Williamsport. That's where Ryan is now. So he's in a life share program. So he lives with a family. It's a woman who also grew up with a sibling with a disability. And she does these life shares after her kids graduated and moved out of the house. And um, she does these life share this is Ryan's my third person and final person. I don't think there'll be anyone after them. Uh, anyways, um, he lives with her husband. This, oh my God. Oh my God. The cat's on the banister. Hold on. Oh God. Not the cat ready to risk it all. <laughs> wow. Talk about not paying attention and just, okay. My heart. Yeah. The cat ready to end his life. Why? That would have been a, a major buzzkill. What's your cat's name again? I keep forgetting. Fergus. Fergus. That's right. Okay. So Ryan lives in the, so Life share is an interesting term, right? Because I know sort of that concept of these, I want to say like assisted living spaces where it's, you know. Group homes, right. Yes. Yeah. So the concern there, yes, Ryan could live in, is eligible for those. The concern there is people with intellectual and emotional disabilities live in those homes. So sometimes people with schizophrenia and those people tend to prey on Ryan because they're of intelligent mind and they, here's this kid who literally ryan give me 300 dollars. it's happened he's gone to the atm i'll be your friend he's pulled out the money and give it to them he doesn't have the ability to like discern and do judgment right good bad you learn through this right but everything has to be really like controlled and like okay here's an allowance for a week here's you know my mom has to be on bank accounts and everything's 
because he's just too trusting of everyone. He's too pure in that regard. So that's always a concern. This took my mother about five years to transition him into it was not an easy thing for her to do by any regard I think she felt really bad as a like a failure as a mother doing this but I think my mom also needed a don't want to say a break but needed time and and Ryan did too he also wanted to be independent right he saw everyone else doing that but needed it what this gives us is Ryan's with people of sound mind, right? He thinks of a vet as like a maternal figure, but also a roommate. And um, he, her husband's a social worker. They're phenomenal humans, right? With just good hearts. And he, it's like a roommate situation, but with rules, right? Where you can be like, oh, Ryan, you can't do that. You have to ask a vet, you know, and it's okay. And so, and she's has a wonderful relationship with my mother and I and you know, I think her heart's different because she grew up with a brother with uh, severe cerebral palsy. Um, so she just has like this heart for people with disabilities and to help. And Ryan will be, she's had three life-sharing people and Ryan's the third and final. And I, this will be, she'll retire, I think, after this. And Ryan will go live with my parents again after, after this. So it's not like an option for him to go somewhere else besides with family so okay and he's in his he's 30 ish now ryan is 37 we are 15 months apart him and i so we're very close he'll be 38 this year if he has about the you know the the mind of of a 10 year old what what's your communication ha been like with him going into adulthood do you guys talk on the phone or like how does that work Oh, yeah. I mean, Ryan calls me every day about 8 p.m. when he used to call, he which he may call while we're on, but it's okay. Just like update me on his day. You know, he's a pretty routine day, week, I guess is the better, the right word. You know, he works certain days of the week. He does laundry certain days of the weeks. He goes to his center for independent or it's not. No, it's not that it's the four C's, but it's basically a center for independent living right it's like they teach they do cooking classes with them they do they go shopping with them like right they just like those sorts of things for adults with disabilities he's like calls to check in on me right now it's little league uh, in williamsport so that's all the rage actually so he probably won't call today because there's a game tennessee is tonight so he's there so he's ryan's got a phenomenal memory for sports he could rattle off all the sports i don't care about he's phenomenal memory for directions we will go place one time. He can't necessarily tell you road names always, but he can tell you, take this right, take this left, go there. Like he'll remember where something is, which is wild. And, and sports and like things that he, directions and sports, he's phenomenal with. Does he have an awareness around his disability? Does he understand? He knows he's different. Yes. Um, Ryan does like Special Olympics, which is a wonderful organization in Pennsylvania. They have that. They really just have it best kiss he knows he's different but he's not sometimes people are frustrated or angry because they know right ryan's just his disposition isn't that he's not upset by it he knows he's different he gets upset of course it takes a lot to upset ryan and not, you want to see me angry the emoji from that movie that like fire lights up like nothing gets me madder than when something actually upsets ryan because it takes a lot to upset ryan but you know he gets his feelings hurt and he'll tell you and you know if somebody talks mean to him he doesn't it hurts his feelings and he knows that and he doesn't appreciate it so but for the most part you know there's a lot to learn i remember when our dad died i called ryan to tell him he wasn't there and ryan just goes so he's in the stars now and i was like yeah but he's like okay 
I mean, that, I mean, that is the beauty because how often do we say as adults, right, how great it would be to have that purity of a child's mind again and to be so accepting of facts like people passing away. So the, the fact that he has that is beautiful. And if it doesn't bother him, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm jealous of it. I'm like grieving for years. <laughs> yeah, because I, I always wonder what the awareness is with for people with disabilities of I think there's varying levels based on IQ truly yeah Um, yeah and and probably EQ and IQ you know I have another cousin who has more emotional you know mental health issues and and knows it and is brilliant probably mental level brilliant but has all these mental health issues and it's debilitating to her right because she knows it and so in some ways you know Ryan knowing but being so accepting at, you know the reminder you're pointing out is it we're really lucky in that regard as a family because there's a lot to be learned from Ryan because he's so happy and he's so thankful and he just loves his family nothing makes him happier than to be with his family which is like makes me want to be with him because I'm like I, I love that you want to be with me you know wow that's so. yeah he's he sounds like a lovely human being and with his disability is there anything that affects his life expectancy in any way or could he very well to be 90 years old i don't really know that answer to be honest okay. i often wondered it myself he doesn't have downs um there is a life expe- a shorter life expectancy with things like down syndrome and stuff ryan doesn't have that yeah so he could by all means live to a ripe old age i think things that concern me truthfully are like you, you and i are really concerned about working out right and what we're eating and Sometimes I worry about those things because Ryan doesn't, and my mom like it's a battle between my mother and I because I'm like Ryan's getting right, <laughs> like you know, and she's like, "Fine, he's happy," and I'm like, "Ah," you know, because I think about those things. So, right, because he to him bag of Cheetos that's a meal. He loves it. It's a great snack, and it is a great snack, buddy. I I don't disagree, but like, you want to run, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> so. You want you want to wash that down with an apple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a great eater, though. When he's with, like, if he's with family, he'll eat healthy. He'll just he grabs what's easy. And I'll, I do find a lot of times the places he's at, right, in just some of his communities, it's a lot of that easy grab and so not so healthy stuff. So, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so now that we've dug deep into all the heavy stuff, and you've so generously shared your tears and your stories, I want to make a heart turn and bring it back. Because you mentioned in the beginning that your dream was working in New York City and you absolutely loved the first two years. So just tell me a little bit more about that time of just like fulfilling that dream of being in New York and working in advertisement. Like what stands out most from that time? There was something magical. I think that first year in New York is so magical because you're just on this like high the whole time, you know, when you, when you accomplish that dream of getting here, there would be days that like work would beat me up and I would be like crying in the subway and like the kind woman hands me a tissue and there's no verbal exchange. Love New York for that reason. Right. Just like, Oh, city's beating her up today. Someone get her tissue. Like let her be, you know, uh-huh. and then you gotta get up. You gotta walk. I was my building. I like, I always had to like walk and find the empire state building. And she just like gave me hope. And I was like, you made it, you're here, like nothing's going to take you away from here. And just like, how do you ever see all of New York in your life? You know, there's just always something to see and explore and do endlessly. And 
I grew up in very idyllic places and Bend, Oregon was beautiful recreationally. And But we didn't have all of that here. I think if I grew up here, I'd probably feel so different about it. But it just, there was magic in the air that whole first year. You know, it was enchanting. Everything was enchanting. Even those bad days, even when people would yell at you, you'd be like, something else would turn the day around. Or you have those moments that you know are like, I just had a New York moment. Like, did that just happen? And that's why even losing my job, like one of my cousins is always like, every time anything happens to me, she's like, are you going to move home? Well, you're going to move to Claudia's? I'm like, no, I'm not leaving New York. I'll figure it out. I'll walk dogs. I'll wait tables. Like, I'm not leaving New York. You know, I'll be fine. I'll take my break and get my career again. But I love this place. I don't know. There's just something I think about leaving sometimes. I didn't think about it until the pandemic, probably when you started thinking about it, too. And I do love the space of other places. I can't lie. And I love the sun and the warmth. But there's just not done with her yet, you know? I get it. And and it's funny that you just mentioned that that magic, because I think that's kind of when I when I had more and more moments of feeling like the veil had been lifted and you could look behind the scenes and then that's all I could see. And I just couldn't see the magic anymore. I could just see like the dirty stage behind the magician. <laughs> and I'm like, I got this is not fun anymore. <laughs> I gotta go. But I know exactly what you mean. Like I've had a moment like that, many moments like that. We're just sitting on the on the subway bawling and there's not there's not a better place to have a good cry than the New York City subway. And somebody just hands you a <laughs> a tissue or just says, you know, Jesus loves you or hands you like a cart for their like Buddhist meetup group and and just leaves you alone after that it's it's fantastic it's the best yeah and there is the first time coming to new york is i am always so jealous of people who come to new york for the first time and then yes that first year where everything is new so yes that's i'm i'm here for all of it i love someone's first year i'm like tell me all about it it's so exciting where did you land what you know like it is there's some magic because you're right you you the veil does get ripped off I, it happened in pandemic for me. And then there was just this camaraderie in going through it together. I, you know, that's when I really leaned into the coffee shop and met everyone there. And I just think that community got me through and kind of the community that keeps getting me through, interestingly. It is a good community. Is there anything else that comes to mind about New York loss, advertisement, unemployment that you need to put out into the world right now? I think a great book about New York to read for everyone. It's a quick read. You could literally read it an hour and a half. Is E.B. White's Here is New York. Have you read it or have you heard of it? I have not, but I will get it as soon as we hang up the the Zoom here. E.B. White wrote Charlotte's Web, so you know of him. He was a New Yorker, and it's a quick read. You could read it on a commute from like here to Philly, right? And I want to get it because I don't. He makes this comment about the three types of New Yorkers and makes lots of comments about New York. And as a New Yorker yourself, it resonates in lots of different ways. I think like as a New Yorker, you would just like love to hear other New Yorkers POVs always. But he's this comment is um, there are three New Yorkers and they're all their differences in the native. Right. And that's like what, you know, gives New York, New York, it's grit, the commuter that kind of gives it the hustle and bustle of people that come in and out every day for work. And then there's like the person that comes here in search of a dream. And they're the ones that like give New York the magic. You've got to read this book. It's good. There's so many different quotes about New York. Have you ever been to the Museum of the City of New York, by the way? 
I don't think I have. Okay. Well, when you come back up, we should go. It's my favorite museum in, in the city of New York. It's the whole first floor is dedicated to New York, the history of New York. Like one side's like when we were in New Amsterdam and it was like conceptualized New York, right? And then a whole other side's like modern day New York, all the protesting activism. It's like got these huge iPads that are like bigger than us that are like you swipe through about famous New Yorkers like Sotomayor, the guys who did the High Line, Jay-Z, like everyone, right? Here, there. It's really cool. And then the third exhibit of it is about future New York, which is also interesting and probably interesting for you and what you do, because basically, as you know, we'll be underwater soon. Yeah, that's uh, always fun to think about. (laughs) Okay, so before we get into uh, existential crises about the state of the world and the climate change and all that depressing shit, I will lead you into my final question that I ask everyone. And that is, Katie, what is your greatest gift to the world? Oh, you got me speechless. <laughs> Maybe I'll say my empathy. I think I have a high, I think I'm an empathetic person. My greatest gift is my empathy. Do I need to elaborate more? You don't have to if you want to. You can, but I think everybody knows what empathy is, and we can just leave it there. And thank you very much. You're welcome. This was really fun. I like this. I loved it too. I had a great time. And thank you again for being generous with your emotions and being vulnerable and real and raw and honest and all the good stuff. So thank you and overshare in a bad way but thank you for having me and uh, thank you for creating a space where I could feel comfortable doing that and sharing and being honest and raw so crying here on a Friday night (laughs) at on my balcony oh my god I think this is gonna be a good way to wrap it up let's talk about the cat on the balcony okay so you just got this cat and and this is for you taking a leap because you were a dog person and you lost your dog but now you decided to get a cat and he's super fucking cute he looks like he's from a comic book and he was just out there on your balcony's banister does he do you usually just monitor him when he's out on the balcony or yeah i do and i was distracted in here talking to you i usually keep the door open he's a garden cat like he loves his garden he loves to lay in the plants but yeah he's been hopping on the counter and shit lately like he's got hops he's in his teenage years He's long, he's bony, he's six and a half pounds now. He's this fucking ridiculously cute Scottish fold. Yeah, he can just hop up on the banister, I'm sure. And probably just, there's a cat who lives next door and he knows it. And sometimes it like peeps through the, yeah, the bamboo fence and like tries to, so I bet he fucking walked up on there to go check on that cat. Well, we're on the seventh floor. Oh my God, Mike is going to kill me when he finds out that this happened on the <laughs> on the podcast because everyone's biggest worry is this damn cat on the banister, which is scary. I don't want anything to happen to him. So noted, noted. He got to live his best life for a few seconds there. So good for him. <laughs> no, <laughs> no harm, no foul. Okay. Thank you again. Uh, it was lovely. And I hope I'll see you soon in New York and we'll go on a fun museum tour or something like that. And then get E.B. White's book. Here's New York. I will. And everyone else should read it too. Absolutely. Thank you.